Psalm 19 verses 7 to 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Rules. Laws. We celebrate rules. We celebrate the laws. Did no one ever? <laughs> when I was young and I was at a school and I wasn't in this country, I was back in South Africa, we had quite a disciplined environment in our school. Very, it was very different coming into a different, a different kind of context. But I remember growing up in school, we had a school uniform. Okay, so we one of those schools with a uniform. The, all our public schools had uniforms. And uh, every day I had to wear a tie. I had to wear a jacket, right? There was definitely a dress code. They would check to make sure you were dressed exactly right. Your hair had to be cut a certain way. In fact, there were so many, the, the, the regulations and the kind of the rules of the law were actually laid out in a small little pocketbook. And we were all given a pocketbook. And we were all kind of, this is kind of what you need to be know what is right what is wrong these are the things that we expect from you these are the things that you should do these are the things that you should not do now even having a pocketbook was one of the rules you were supposed to have a pocketbook and you were supposed to have a pocketbook on you at all times so that you knew what the rules were how many of you are getting really scared for my school career right now <laughs> we had great fun now one of the most interesting things about having all these rules was the fact that we spent an incredible amount of time trying to figure out how we can get around these rules. <laughs> Who knows what I'm talking about? I remember the one day we had like these stairs and they were, it was kind of, it was outside and there, there's like three flights of, 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 of classrooms and I came in from the outside and I knew my hair was, it was long. I was, I, was, I was doing that Paul McCartney thing. If you've seen me with long hair, you know what I'm talking about. And as I walked around the corner, there was a teacher, and I knew exactly. He was the guy that always looked at the hair. As I walked around the corner, I walked like this, and I just, just back, backtracked like this. And I just heard him say, Mr. Duplessis. I'm like, oh, he got me. I said, yes. He says, looking a bit long there. I said, yeah, it's a little bit long, isn't it? He said, yeah, well, I think you should cut your hair. I said, okay, I'll sort that out. And that's kind of the way it worked. Even our pocketbooks, there would be like pocketbook inspection. We would have an assembly. And as you walked into the assembly, they would say, okay, show us your pocketbook. And you'd show them your pocketbook. But of course, not everybody had their pocketbook. So we had this thing which we used to do, say, can I see your pocketbook? As you walked in, you showed it and you just slipped it back to the guy behind you. And he just slipped it back and we slipped it back. And that's how we did things. 
Now, you know exactly what I'm talking about because somehow when it comes to rules and regulations, you know, there's this, this, this kind of love-hate relationship with them. In some ways, we know that we should have them, but really we spend a tremendous amount of time trying to see how we might circumvent rules, how we might get around things. In fact, some people say, well, it's all about finding the loopholes in the law. That's what we're trying to do. But as we look at this passage of Scripture, it's, it's, it's kind of strange because David is looking at these Scriptures and he's going, but they're like honey, they're like gold. And I'm thinking, David, something's not right. We don't understand. We don't like. We push against laws. We don't want laws. We don't want rules. But yet David seems to have found something there that makes them beautiful. He celebrates them. He writes about them in a psalm of worship. He worships and sings about them. As Methodists, we are very much aware that even one of the things that we believe in is scriptural holiness. There's a scripture that we have in 1 Peter chapter 1, 15 and 16. Instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourself in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Living a life that pleases God, whether we like it or not, requires that we do certain things and that there are certain things that we don't do. The laws of commission, the, the sin of commission, the things that we have done, we can sin and break the law by things that we do. But we can also break the law by the things that we don't do, the sins of omission. There are things that we don't do that can also lead us to the place where we break the law. And so we have this faith, we have this religion or this, this relationship with God. And as we work out our relationship with God, there is a sense of do this, don't do this, this is right, this is wrong. And then we go into the world and say, come and be a Christian and do all these rules with us. Who can see the problem right there? I remember when I was in student ministry, one of the problems we had was, how do you explain to people that actually you need to come and become a Christian so we can tell you about all the things that you're not allowed to do? You know what I'm saying? But I actually think that there's a problem there because we don't actually understand. If David is celebrating, and David does celebrate the laws of God and calls them, he says they're like gold. That means they're very precious. It's like honey. There's something beautiful about them. If David believes this, then maybe we need to stop and take another look and say, are we misunderstanding this? Are we misunderstanding the laws of God? Could they really be as beautiful as what David tells us they are? I think they are. And so I'm going to have about three questions that I'm going to just ask and answer this morning that hopefully will help us understand this. I've entitled the sermon this morning, God's Loving Laws, because God loves us through His laws. So the first thing is, how is David, how is it that David can see the law as something good and valuable? Well, I've realized a few things when it comes to understanding the world we live in. We live in a place where we feel like we know best. Now I'm looking, I'm kind of looking over and I'm getting a sense. I don't know if you're still at that place, but I know when I was younger, and I'm pretty sure, I'm looking at wise people this morning, I can tell. You'll know what I'm saying in a second. When I was younger and I remember being married and we're still young, you're getting your car, have you ever noticed that that car's got lights that come up on the dashboard? Have you ever noticed that one that says you're low on fuel? 
How many of you still, because I know you did this at one stage, get that light comes on and you say, oh, I've got another 20 miles. <laughs> Who still does that? I've, I've got one, there's one or two. We've got one or two guilty parties right here. Oh, I can push this. I know my car. I know exactly how far I can push it. How many of the same people have found yourself on the side of the road saying, oh, man. Because the light comes on and the manufacturer said, at this point, you should probably be finding a gas station and putting some fuel in your car. But you know what? We know better. We know better. I know my car. I know how far I can push it. I remember my wife saying this. I hope she doesn't hear this, but anyway. And I remember having this discussion and she'd go like, I figured out how the car works. I'm like, yeah, okay. Well, you get to the red, then you get halfway through the red, and when you get to the bottom of the red, it gets to a little white line. Now, when you're on the white line, you still got so many. I'm like, what? <laughs> you're like at the bottom of the red on the white already. And now you're like, what? She's like, yeah, no, I've got this sorted out. I'm like, oh my gosh. You know, as we get older, we realize we like see the light and we go, maybe we should just find a, a gas station. But I mean, we do the same thing when a little engine light comes on. Ah, oh, that engine light. The engine light's broken. Definitely a problem with engine light. Engine light's broken. Now, there can't be anything wrong with the engine. It's just the light that's broken. But we think like that, and we talk like that, because we think we know better. And we live in a time when we always have that sense. Same thing is like, you know, you don't go to the gas station and go, and I've, I've used this example before, and say, hey, you know, I, I actually think that uh, uh, water is actually a lot cheaper than gas these days. I'm going to put that in my fuel tank because that's much better, way more efficient. We don't do that because the manufacturer has actually told us that if you do that, you're going to break this thing. So when the manufacturer gives you a manual and says to you, hey, I think you should live your life a certain way because if you live it a certain way, it's actually going to work really well. And then we go, actually, I don't know. I've got my own manual somewhere else. Let me find a different manual. Maybe it's because he knows that if you live your life a certain way, you're going to flourish and good things will come, that come of your life. We, we, have, we have the Bible. God says to us, well, when you're thinking of marriage and you're talking about marriage, I've got some really good ideas for you about how you should do your marriage. And we go, I don't know, I think I'll do it my own way. And then you come to church for marriage counseling. Because God created this thing called marriage. He created you, He created me, He created males, He created females, He brought us together in a union and said, this is going to be good for you. And we go, I actually don't like the way He's done that. I think we should do this differently because the manufacturer, the creator of all the earth, the one who created us, the one who formed us and breathed into us, who knows us, knows us better than we know ourselves. No, we know ourselves better than He knows. And guess what? Things fall apart. We see this in the world in all sorts of things. We see this even in the big debates that keep going on in things like sexuality. And I'm not going to go down a, a deep road with that as well. We feel somehow that we are being driven into a place where we need to redefine things and look at things differently. And in a way we push God out of the picture instead of bringing God into the picture. Next week we start our stewardship campaign. We will be speaking about finances. And some people are already saying, please Lord give me grace for two weeks. 
you will have the grace. But the truth is, why? Because it's something that's very personal to us. It touches us. It's difficult for us. And here's the thing. When God's principles come into it, it's difficult to say, I receive your principles because somehow we feel we know better than God, even in things like that. And we're going to have to get to the place where we acknowledge God knows better. In Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, listen to what the psalmist says. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. He says, but people get joy. They get happy. Their delight is in the law. They delight in the law of the Lord. On His law, they meditate day and night. And if they do that, it says, they are like trees that are planted by streams of water which yield their fruit in season. Their leaves do not wither in all they do, they prosper. Wow. Is it possible that David knows, even in Psalm 19, that when we obey the laws of God, we move ourselves into the place of blessing, we move ourselves into the place of prosperity, but when we reject the laws of God, we move ourselves into a place where we're actually hurting ourselves. Let's move on to a second question. <coughs> what happens when... Our opinions and God's laws clash. What happens when we disagree with God's ways? The truth is that's going to happen. It will happen. It continues to happen. And even in church today, it might be happening even inside of you. Because we have a clash of cultures. It's a kingdom culture versus secular culture. We live in a world that is telling us how to think, how to work, um, everything about us. We spoke about marriage. This world is redefining what marriage looks like. And as it redefines us, we are brought to those thoughts. We are then confronted with those thoughts, the thoughts in the world come into conflict with the thoughts of the kingdom. And we now have a clash of cultures. We see that in our relationships, what our relationships look like, what they should look like, how they should operate. We see that in our perspective and our approach to things like finances. And the interesting thing that is really, really, it fascinates me. People come along and they say, I'm an independent thinker. I'm like, what? Really? I've, I've, I've decided I'm not going to, I'm going to think for myself. And I've decided that I'm going to, and really the next word is, follow culture. And what everybody else is saying, what everybody else is thinking, what everybody else... You know, the world is playing a tune, everybody dances to that tune, sings to that tune, and then they stand up and say, we're independent thinkers. I'm saying, actually, you're not. Actually, you're not. Because you haven't stopped to think this thing through yourself. You're just doing what everybody else tells you to do. You're thinking the way the world tells you to think. And then when that happens, guess what happens? You come into conflict with the Bible and you think, well, the Bible is like too rigid, you know. It's just too confining and the laws are just, you know, we need freedom. We need to think for ourselves. Yeah, well, that's why we follow the Bible because we do think for ourselves. The truth is too often people who say they're independent thinkers are actually just following the trends. How do we reconcile the inconsistencies between what we want or what the world is telling us we should want and what we should believe and that which God teaches us. Well, as soon as we get into a culture clash and we find ourselves where God's laws come into conflict with contemporary culture, we don't know what to do. This is, this is human nature and you need to understand how this works. We get to a point where we then have a big 
moment, that is a moment in your life, right there. You have just encountered a deep spiritual moment in your life where, number one, you're going to decide, I am going to follow God, you're going to submit to the Lordship of Christ, and it's going to be a key discipleship moment in your life. Or number two, you're going to decide to allow what you want, what you feel you should want, what the world is telling you what you want, and that's where we move into the place where we start to argue. And we go, well, you know, God's law says. Listen carefully to this. So I, wa I want you to hear and understand what I'm saying. Does God's law really say? Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? Have you heard that somewhere before? Where have you heard that before? Genesis. Where God said... Do this, do this, and then this. And then the serpent comes along and says to Eve, Did God really say? And that's what we do. Because we look at the fruit, and it looks good for eating on the eye, and we think we want it, and then suddenly... Scripture jumps up and says, but God said, and then there's that voice. Did God really say? Well, maybe. And then we start to do this. We start to argue. We argue with God's law. We argue with God's ways. We argue with what God has said to be true and right. And then we read. This is the fun part. This is, this is the kind of like the world I live in. Then we create theologies of the Bible that support the things that we wanted to say. And suddenly the Bible's no longer relevant because you can actually make it say whatever you want because you can twist things and change things because suddenly we disagree with it. So what's going to change? I came into conflict with the law of God. I came into conflict with God. And guess what? I told God to change. I told God to, God to change His laws so that I can have my way. When we come into conflict with God... He should never be the one who is expected to change because he does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. When there is a discrepancy, I am always wrong. He is always right. And that's a very simple concept we need to work with, which is essentially lordship. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, uh, Paul writes, he says, I appeal to you therefore, and, and watch this, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. What is a living sacrifice? Isn't a sacrifice a dead thing? Or it should be after it's been sacrificed. It could have been a living thing. Then it's a dead thing. So he wants us to be alive, but something's got to die. Right? So what, what needs to die? Holy and acceptable to God. There's that word holy, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Is that what we're talking about? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Where are these arguments taking place? I think. My ideas. My thoughts. This is what I'm... I, I've got a great idea. You know what? I read the scripture and I've got a great idea of how I think we should understand that scripture. No, you need God's understanding of that scripture, not yours. But you know what happened at this point? 
transformed by the renewing of your mind. Something has to die. Inside of us, we submit to the will of God. We submit to the way of God. We submit to the thinking of God. Something has to go. Our personal preferences have to die. The cultural trends that are driving us, we need to let go of. The pressures that come from outside, we have to surrender them to Christ and the Lordship of Christ. Every point of inner conflict is an opportunity to more fully conform to the image of Christ. If you think of this and you understand the concept, when Jesus comes and he speaks about, uh, he, he comes in the Beatitudes in, in, in Matthew chapter 5, and he says, here's the action. But what's the, what, what precedes the action? The thinking. You've got to change your thinking. You say, do not murder. I say, if you say to your brother, I hate you. You say, do not commit adultery. But I say, if you look at somebody lustfully, you have already committed adultery. What's happening? It takes it a step back. We need to start an inner transformation. and Something inside of us has got to die and be resurrected in Christ so that we can live more fully for God. Obedience is more than how we act. It starts with how we think and how we view the world. Let me give you the third and last question for this morning. Why has God, and I use the word burdened, with quotes, burdened us with laws for holy living? The truth is, even in the Old Testament, as we consider the Israelites journeying through the desert, and, and you've probably heard this, some of the laws that he puts in place, like the dietary laws, were actually really good. Because when you're in that place and you've got pork and you've got some kind of seafoods, it's probably not the best thing to be hanging on to those kind of things. Because these were, and we find out later, and, and history tells us that these are actually kind of places where you can pick up some pretty bad diseases. So we see how they actually, in a way, help, in a very practical way, help the people of Israel. But think about New Testament laws. When I say laws, the things, the principles by which we live. When the New Testament tells us things like, well, don't get drunk on wine. Ephesians chapter 5. Don't get drunk on wine. Be filled with the Spirit. We even see it speaks about drunkenness as something that it speaks against. Just simply speaking, do we practically understand how drunkenness and alcohol addiction can in fact break down society and our, 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 our family structures? Can we see that? Can we see how just by God saying, hey, I don't want you to live like this, He's actually not just saying, hey, I don't want you to enjoy, enjoy yourself. He's actually saying, I want you to look after the people. I want you to look after yourself because I don't want you to end up with like some kind of a, a rotting liver down the, down the road. I want you to look after yourself physically. I want you to look after the people around you. And if you're going to be getting drunk, you're not going to be able to love the people the way you're supposed to love them. I say love your neighbor. Once you've had one too many, you're not loving your neighbor anymore. And the neighbor you're loving, you should not be loving. So moving along. <laughs> We'll not elaborate on that. <laughs> the same is true of things like parenting, the way we love our kids. The same is true of the way we handle our finances. We, we have all sorts of people telling us exactly the way we need to look at our finances, understand our finances, but God is very clear about it in His Word. And next week I'll talk more about this, and I'd love to share some of the stories of God's faithfulness. 
but it starts with understanding things the way God sees things and doing things the way God wants us to do things. In Deuteronomy 28, right at the end of Moses' long final speech to the Israelite people, he kind of ends with this, this powerful, powerful passage. And you can read it all the way to about verse 15. But he says, If you will only, please, obey the Lord your God by diligently observing all the commandments that I have commanded you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. All these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. Is it possible that God has put His laws in our life because He wants through obedience to bring blessing into our lives? At the end of the service today, I will leave you with a benediction. It comes from Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 to verse 27. And this is how Moses and Aaron were instructed to bless the nation of Israel. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his son saying, Thus you shall bless. Can you see that God wants to bless you? Can you see that all God's wanting to do is just pour? He just wants, I mean, it's just like, man, can I bless my people? This is how you need to bless the people. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And this is what we don't say, but this is key. So they shall put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. This is a fascinating, fascinating thing. Obedience brings blessing. And it is in that blessing and the blessing that He puts on you and the blessing that He puts on me that He marks us as His own. They will know. I've put my name on them. And the world will look and say, hey, they're mine. They're mine. Those are my people. I will put my name upon them. 1 Peter chapter 1, 15 and 16. You shall be holy, for I am holy. What's the understanding of holiness? You live in a world where everybody is independent thinkers and look the same, but anyway. And God says, I want you to look different. I want to bless you. I want to put my name upon you. I want people to look in. I want people to look at Trinity Church. I want people to look at the church of God and to see the goodness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. And they'll say there's something different. They've been marked by the power of God. They are, holiness is to be set apart, to be different, to be taken out of and put in a different place. And it's through obedience that this happens in our lives. We find blessing in obedience in so doing, we allow ourselves to be set apart and marked as those belonging to God. And so when David says, you know what? It's more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and dripping of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Do you know what I think he's actually saying to us? 
And I think there's this concept, when I look at the laws of God and and we, we just can tweak our thinking, I really think that what God is trying to do through His laws is truly love us. I think He loves us. He's saying, these are my laws and this is the best way I know how to love you and to bless you and to be a father and for you to be my child. Let us pray.